Welcome to HeyYA Extra Credit. Every other week, opposite the main HeyYA podcast, we present a short-form bonus episode with interviews or backlist titles for you to add to your TBR. I'm Sarah Hanna-Gomez, and I'm recording on Wednesday, November 11th, 2020. Happy Veterans Day or Armistice Day. This has been a week, and like I said, today is a day, so I have a very cheery topic for you today, and it's fascism and the boot. Before I get into that very happy topic, I promise I won't totally bum you out. I want to tell you about our sponsor for this episode, and it's Kingdom of Sea and Stone by Mara Rutherford, published by Inkyard Press. Ever since Nora was forced to go to a nearby kingdom in her sister's place, she's wanted nothing more than to return to the place and people she loves. But when her wish comes true, she soon finds herself cast out from both worlds with a war on the horizon. As an old enemy resurfaces more powerful than ever, Nor will have to keep the kingdom from falling apart. There are forces within the world more mysterious than Nor ever guessed. Can she stay alive long enough to conquer them? That's Kingdom of Sea and Stone by Mara Rutherford, published by Inkyard Press. So, fascism. More specifically, anti-fascism. I just zoom-tended, if you will, um, copyright me, a lecture about anti-fascism by Mark Bray, who is a professor at Rutgers University. He is the author of Antifa, the Anti-Fascist Handbook. So I just started reading that and listened to his lecture. One thing I learned right off the bat was Antifa and anti-fascism, even though the, the word Antifa comes from the longer word anti-fascism. They are not interchangeable. So that was my first big learning thing for the day. Antifa is a subset of anti-fascism, but it has a specific meaning and more of a specific focus. If you think of anti-fascism as an ideology, Antifa is a movement that in English and Italian is usually um, used to indicate or also described as militant anti-fascism. In French, it's radical anti-fascism. So it's a little more about action, not just feelings of, I don't like fascism. It's a bit more about reconceiving the entire system of fascism, rather than just saying, I don't like this. It's what can we build? So I think for obvious reasons, if you are in any part of the world, I'm in the United States, but many countries around the world have been bending in the way of fascism lately. And one of the things in Mark Bray's lecture that I thought about and heard about is the idea that we have to always be thinking about it and always be working against it, or it can come back. It's an insidious process. Bray used the example of a phrase that he calls the worst slogan ever, first Hitler, then us. And it was kind of a rallying cry of people who thought like, yes, Hitler was just elected, but he's not going to last long. He's, you know, he's nuts. No one's actually going to take him seriously. So we let him be elected, but that's actually going to give us an in so that we can actually get our ideologies passed. And, you know, history said, haha, you're wrong. We actually got Hitler for quite a while. What's interesting, though, according to Bray, was that fascism actually steals a lot from left-wing culture and left-wing action. The idea of holding meetings, printing newsletters, comes from 
leftist, leftist practices, leftist parties, leftist movements. In the 19th century, the right wasn't doing this. They were leveraging their aristocratic status and trying to dissociate from the people who were their underlings. So that's how fascism is actually different from right-wing politics. Another thing I really hadn't thought to separate because they seem so intertwined in my everyday reality. But functionally, politically, they are different. So I learned a lot today for someone who thinks she's pretty radical, apparently. I'm an everyday radical, not as nuanced as I thought I was. So so I wanted to highlight some books that really deal with fascism as an ideology and fascism as it affects teens on a day-to-day basis, because right now teens have fascism affecting their lives on a day-to-day basis. I will end with some books that are about resistance and that are a bit more hopeful so that you don't feel like this entire episode is just me bringing you down. And next week, Kelly and I are going to be talking about how to shop for YA books for the holidays. So you have lots of fun coming. So some books that I've read that I think really, really go into the boot, into fascism and how you can resist. One of those is Anger is a Gift by Mark Oshiro. I was lucky enough to read an early manuscript of it and to give some comments. And people are probably tired of hearing me say this, but it is not a lie. I could not read another book for a good three days after I read just the manuscript. And it just got better from there. So it's about a boy whose father was murdered by an Oakland police officer. So you can see a lot of uh, Freddie Gray parallels here. So as if losing a parent isn't enough, he also had the media vilifying his father and just a lack of accountability and justice. So Moss, this boy, has crippling panic attacks all the time. So as he's entering his sophomore year of high school in Oakland, he and his classmates all of a sudden find that their school has completely overhauled its security system and pretty much overnight has started to run its fascist agenda. There are locker searches, there are metal detectors, constant intimidation and very violent action by the Oakland Police Department happening in their halls. This is not a lighthearted book. This is a book that is violent and pulls no punches in showing you who's enacting the violence. It's not the kids. It's the people coming into the neighborhood. But it's also a really amazing look at what teens can do when adults are the fascists in their lives and when they are being hurt by these policies. So even though it is a huge bummer to be light about it. It also is this really, I hope, empowering book to teens reading it. And I hope kind of sobering to adults who read the book as well. And maybe need to be reminded that teens are well aware of what's going on. And they have a lot of power and a lot of intellect. They're completely aware of what's going on. And we should watch how we treat them. We should watch how we treat everyone. But we should watch how we how we treat teens and how teens behave because they are stronger than we think they are. Be a little afraid. The next book I want to talk about is The Big Lie by Julie Mayhew. This one takes place in Nazi England in 2014. So right away, you kind of know that you're in an alternate history that led to an alternate present. 
that's definitely a catnip for me. Lots of those concepts can go haywire, but I think Mayhew does a really good job with this one. Because we have a girl who's doing everything right. She's doing what her parents want. She is a good member of the Bundeutsche Mädel. She's a daughter of the Greater German Reich. And her best friend is not. She is not submissive. Clementine is really radical and just starts to feel torn because she knows the right way to behave. She gets the awards. She's the one that people look to as a good example. And Clementine is really outspoken. But now Jess has to wonder if, you know, maybe what she thinks of as playing by the rules and doing everything right and being upstanding and a good girl is not the way to be. And maybe what she has been looking to her entire life as, you know, a benevolent power and people who only have her best interests at heart, maybe don't so much. So it's a really unflinching and amazing look at what it's like when you realize all of a sudden that everything you've been told is is a lie. So that's The Big Lie by Julie Mayhew. The next book I have for you is The Fever King by Victoria Lee. It also takes place in a sort of alternate history that I read it um, when it was about to come out. And now just a couple years later, it is really weird to think about how its entire premise is a pandemic that happened in 2018. So, oh no, Lee was a couple years off. She's totally inaccurate. No, it's scary how well-timed it was. So we have a former United States and a nation called Carolinia that grew out of this magic pandemic that kind of tore the U.S. apart. We have a fascist head of state who doesn't want to allow in a bunch of refugees who are fleeing outbreaks of the virus that caused the pandemic 100 years ago. And we have the son of undocumented immigrants who is lucky enough to kind of be on the inside and is lucky enough to have a lot of privilege. He's sort of been allowed access to an education that not many people get. But at the same time, he's trying to help other immigrants and refugees because he knows what it's like to be one because he he's the child of one. So he's really having to walk this line of whom he can trust, whom he can support, how he can take care of his own best interests, but also not work for a political system he doesn't believe in. So there's a lot of tensions there. And he's also Jewish. So as a Jew of color, I was like, woo, represent. So there's another nice little element there. And that is The Fever King by Victoria Lee. My next book is The Interrogation of a Shayla Wolf by Ambulin Quimelina. So this one takes place sort of in Australia, in like a post-apocalyptic Australia, starring an Aboriginal girl who has been kidnapped and now is being held and questioned by a fascist government who is asking her to out the rest of her tribe, which they are calling illegals. So she is sitting there trying to resist really horrible interrogation procedures to protect other people that, if the government had its druthers, would also be questioning and shutting down. So that is The Interrogation of a Shayla Wolf by Ambulin Quaimulina. Then for some real fascism in our somewhat recent history, I have three books for you. That's 
Orphan Monster Spy by Matt Killeen. So this is about a Jewish orphan who ends up being adopted by a man who, because she's a really good mimic and a great performer and actress and is multilingual, she recognizes right away he is not a high-ranking member of the Nazi party like he is presenting himself as. He is not a German, he's actually English, and he's a spy in the Nazi party. So he adopts Sarah, they change her name to Ursula, and he sends her to a school attended by daughters of top Nazi officials, and she reports back to him. So they're both doing spy work, or as they call it, she is playing like one of the monsters, one of these child monsters of these adult monsters. So I did it as an audiobook. I found it really compelling as a listen, but it's, I think, just as compelling as a read. You have the thriller element, but you also have this really amazing, really brilliant girl who just speaks all these languages and is so good at picking up on people's behavior and is super brave while kind of living among all of these people who, if they knew who she really was, would want to destroy her. So that's Orphan Monster Spy by Matt Killeen. Next, we have The Fountains of Silence by Ruta Zepetis. This one takes place in Madrid in the 50s under Franco's dictatorship. So we have a few different characters. It is this sort of sweeping historical fiction with some romance. But at the same time, we have secrets and the Spanish Civil War and some really shady practices at a convent having to do with orphaned babies who maybe aren't orphaned on purpose. We also have an American who has just arrived in Madrid with his parents, and he's a photographer, and he ends up witnessing and being able to document some things that people would not want him to document. So that is The Fountains of Silence by Ruta Sepetis. Next, I have two books that were published this year, so they're brand spanking new. There's Kent State by Deborah Wiles, which is about the Kent State event, if you will, when four protesters, university students, were killed by the government, by the National Guard. It's a really interesting book in form. It's in verse, but instead of just straight free verse, it is in multiple voices, so you have students, you have community members, you have police, you have all these different parties who have very different ideas of who was in the right, who was in the wrong, who incited whom to violence, and why it all happened. So that's Kent State by Deborah Wiles. That incident happened in May of 1970, so the book was published just in time for its 50th anniversary, which is weirdly a long time, but also very recent because it still feels like it's 2000. My last 2020 publication is Say Her Name by Zeta Elliott and illustrated by Levis Wise. So this one is inspired by the hashtag Say Her Name and the campaign behind it, which is about naming the victims of police brutality. I know for me, at least, as a Black person, I am very troubled by how often I want to refer to things and have to be like, oh, which one of those happened today? Who was that guy? The one? No, no, no. The other guy who was killed by police, but the one in this city, not that other city, because there's such a barrage of these extrajudicial murders happening all the time. 
And it's just this horrible reality that we live in that it's so easy to forget people's names because these things happen so often. And it is so easy to forget the female victims of police violence and of modern lynchings because, well, because of many things, including misogyny, misogynoir, and just this imbalance in media coverage. So this is a collection of poems, and it's beautifully illustrated. So there are some that are tribute poems that are inspired by the works of Black women poets, and then just poems that Elliot wrote on her own, but they're really celebrating the resilience and resistance and courage of Black women and girls. So that's Say Her Name by Zeta Elliot and illustrated by Liviz Wise. Some books I haven't read yet, but that are on my TBR for how fiery and inspiring I know they're going to be because I have friends who have read them that I trust with their recommendations. And hopefully that'll leave you feeling a little bright. Fascism is real, Antifa and anti-fascism are important, but we also would still like to be able to wake up tomorrow and smile. So two books that are definitely going on my TBR are this book is Anti-Racist, 20 Lessons on How to Wake Up, Take Action, and Do the Work by Tiffany Jewell, illustrated by Aurelia Durand. Who are you? What is your identity? What is racism? How do you choose your own path? How do you stand in solidarity? How can you hold yourself accountable? So in 20 carefully laid out chapters, the anti-bias, anti-racist educator and activist Tiffany Jewell helps you answer those questions for yourself and gives you tools to help other people ask those questions of themselves. So that's This Book is Anti-Racist, 20 Lessons on How to Wake Up, Take Action, and Do the Work by Tiffany Jewell, illustrated by Aurelia Durand. And my last book for you is Woke, A Young Poet's Call to Justice by Mahogany Brown and illustrated by Theodore Taylor III. Historically, poets have been on the forefront of social movements, so Woke is a collection inspired by that, inspired by people who are on the forefront of social movements and inspired by social movements themselves. So it is all women poets. Um, some you'll recognize like Elizabeth Acevedo. Others you might not know, but you will probably become fans of theirs by the end of the book. And that is Woke, A Young Poet's Call to Justice by Mahogany Brown, illustrated by Theodore Taylor III. I also really like that the last three books I just mentioned to you are all illustrated. I think it's really wonderful that we're seeing more illustrated YA. Illustrations aren't a thing you should have to say goodbye to once you hit the age of 12. Picture books are for everyone. Illustrated books, which are a slightly different thing, should also be for everyone. So I hope you are inspired to really dig in and ask yourself hard questions about politics, about fascism, about the boot, about what you can do to resist oppressive powers in your life, whether they are local, national, or global. But I hope also you find some inspiration in these books, not just the sappy type of inspiration, but serious inspiration to think and to act and to do the work, whatever the work is for you. So thank you so much for listening to HeyYA Extra Credit this week. Thank you to Sync for working audio magic every week, especially when I make all kinds of flubs or sound like a frog because it's allergy season 365 days a year. Kelly and I will be back next week with a full-length HeyYA episode. 
In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at shgmclicious and on Instagram as at shgmclicious and at bookishgirlfit. I will put all of these books as well as some other notes in the show notes so you can find them on the Book Riot website or on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. Please share, rate, and review HeyYA on your podcatcher of choice. It lets us know how we're doing and it also helps other people find us. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you next week. Bye.